Welcome to the Secret Nerd Podcast, where we think everyone should play tabletop RPGs and give you some reasons why. With me today, I am super excited to be talking to this guest. Uh, he is a member of the fantastic podcast and stream Asians Represent, um, as well as doing a ton of other stuff in the TTRPG space. Uh, yeah, so I just can't wait to get into this. But yeah, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Oh, yes. I love it. Thank you so much for having me. But my name is Steve Wynn. Uh, like you said, I'm one of the co-hosts of Asians Represent. I use he, him. Uh, I've I guess I'm kind of like a newer person in the tabletop RPG space in that, yeah. you know, now I'm starting to write and and do kind of the the work of consulting. Um, but I've kind of like always been adjacent to it, always kind of had my fingers in the gaming space, in the nerd space. So I'm happy to be here. I have no idea what we're going to talk about. But, you know, <laughs> after after we met on that uh, one episode, Asians Present, I mm-hmm. just was was begging for the opportunity to come and just like chat with you and chill with you and just exchange ideas. So thanks again for having me yeah of course thank you i'm yeah i'm super excited uh you and daniel and really the whole crew at asians represent but um there have been specific times when you and daniel have had conversations on the show um and it's always so good and i think uh the relationship um that you guys have on the show and the relationship that you have towards um the space and towards uh just creating like positivity uh in in an authentic way i think it's just yeah it's so good i love to see it and i think it's it's really good energy it's a lot of really good energy that we need and i think um creates a lot of great discussions uh that you guys have um on that show as well as in other places so yeah i'm I'm super excited to do this yeah for sure i mean you know, I've worked with Daniel now for a long time, two two plus years um, in the Asian represent kind of sphere. But even before that, I was a l- listener. Mm-hmm. And like you're saying, the authenticity, just the way to approach, I wouldn't say problems, but ideas, mm-hmm. tensions, you know, cognitive dissonance, the way that he and the team kind of go about it was very eye-opening for me. Yeah. It was always kind of aligned with how I personally think that we should approach these conversations. And having worked with them, you know, I've refined kind of my own processes, um, learned a heck of a ton from all of them. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, it's they are an absolutely amazing crew. I'm so happy and, and consider myself so lucky to get my yeah. chance to work with them. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, for sure. Well, well, we'll get more into Asians Represent. But where I always like to get started is uh, how did you get into nerd stuff in general? It's you know what I like, I'm trying to figure out how I want to approach that question. Cause I knew you were going to ask it. And, you know, I guess nerd stuff kind of started off. I like, I'll start off with like the really young, like toddler, five-year-old, six-year-old yeah, and just old VHSs like yeah. on TV. Uh, obviously like that black belt theater, like watching old Bruce Lee VHSs was mm. a big thing for me. Yeah, but for I also, sure. I have these very clear memories of, you know, flipping through channels and trying to watch cartoons that i didn't have access to and just trying to watch it through all of like the fuzz <laughs> and things like that yeah i have vivid memories of trying so hard to piece together the old Mega Man cartoon because i love Mega Man. Mm-hmm. when i got my super nintendo it was like game yeah. changer for me um and i just really wanted to watch that anime and i couldn't 
but in my mind, I'm like, I have enough. I could like make up the episodes on my own. Yeah. Um, and I think that's kind of, that's like the, the, the turnaround moment for me in kind of nerddom where it's like everything that's going on in my brain, let's just lean right into it. Yeah. And then throughout kind of like growing up and, and coming of age and all that kind of stuff. I've always just kind of stayed as adjacent to it as I possibly could while still trying to feign that I'm not a, I'm not a nerd. I, I can be cool <laughs> and things like that. But once I, once I got out of school and I got a chance to like actually spread my wings and, and grow, I realized that I don't need to put on an act. I can just enjoy the things I enjoy because I'm allowed to enjoy things. Yeah. And that was, that was the last step. And now I'm, now I'm free. I can talk about whatever I want. I can come on whatever podcast I want. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. It, it definitely, I mean, the pressure from school um can be understated i think you know especially like i think we all kind of have things going on and there's definitely like people i remember in school who were just like yeah this is who i am i don't give a shit like what people think about me um but i think depending on different things in your life like that isn't always necessarily a reality uh and i've talked about it before too but like i definitely went through that of like i I want to have friends. You know what I mean? I want people to like me. And I, as uh, when I was much younger, um, I was definitely like a weirder kid. Like I, I would get excited. Like I remember being in third grade and like having my teachers ask me to like go read to like the kindergarten class and stuff like that. And like being like super mm -hmm. excited about that. Cause I was just, I, I loved to learn and, and, um, to just be smart really, I guess. Um, and, and yeah, but that, but that also meant that like you get singled out as like, that kid that like goes and reads books to other kids and like, um, or that was like in gifted or whatever. And so I think that that definitely puts a target on your back where it's like, it, 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 those two things conflict with each other of like, I want to be good at this stuff, but I also want to make friends and be like popular. And exactly. And that doesn't really work. <laughs> at least it didn't back then. I don't know. now it could be different, but yeah. I mean, now with, you know, internet which obviously you and i didn't have growing mm -hmm. up yeah but now these kids i think they're doing all right they figured out how to like navigate it obviously yeah. they're making missteps here and there but that's yeah. growing up but um i, well, also, I like, definitely nerd stuff is cooler now like anime is cool now you know marvel is cool now like <laughs> yeah and I, I think you know not to not to, to toot our own horns but I, you know all the all the work that we've all done to be like you know what this is the things I like. I'm not afraid of it anymore. And mm -hmm. if you think I'm cool, great. If you don't think I'm cool, well, there's the door. You can do whatever you're <laughs> yeah. going to do. Yeah, absolutely. It, it definitely, like, growing up, I think, helps a ton in that regard because it definitely uh, opens those doors to be like, yeah, like, you know, I was cool enough to get a wife, right? And we've been married for a long time now. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and she just accepts the things that are great about me. And I don't have to worry about, like, somebody else trying to give me that acceptance either because you know I, I can just have fun for me um and i think like whether you have a partner or not like i think that's an important thing to learn about like this is who i am and the people who are going to like me for who i am are the people that i should be around not not other folks definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. and so you did you grow up in canada yeah, I did. So uh, my parents immigrated to Canada in uh, the late 70s to escape the Vietnam War and a lot of that violence. Mm. Uh, I was of our family. I was like the firstborn man, uh, okay. boy. Um, yeah. So like a lot of pressure on me to, you know, be exemplary in mm -hmm. the kind of this new way we're going to live in this new country, things like that. Um, so that definitely affected how I wanted to approach, you know, things that brought me joy, all these nerd um, hobbies and things like that. Yeah. Uh, 
I definitely recognized that there was pressure to to be more academic and athletic and try to put away these childish, you know, <laughs> yeah. knickknacks. Um, but you know, eventually I figured out what worked for me and my family's not super thrilled with, you know, I'm not a doctor. Um, <laughs> but they also understand that uh I kind of get to do what I want and they can see I'm happy. And yeah. you know, they might not admit it, but you know, I can tell that they are happy that I'm happy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's good that they, that they feel that way now. I think, yeah, it's, it's tough. I can imagine like the pressure that comes with that of like having to go to a new place and learn everything new and deal with the things that we know for sure your parents would have had to deal with, you know, racism and bigotry and stuff. And then go through like trying to figure out how, how to best protect your kids from that. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that default is, is looking at it like, okay, well shit, like maybe if you're like good at school and stuff like people, you know, like, or good at sports, like people will just accept you easier. Um, so yeah, I, I didn't have that specific experience, but I think, but I can empathize with the, with the thoughts behind it, especially as a parent of like, I worry about constantly about what's going to happen as soon as my kids walk out the door. Um, yeah. you know, walking into the warehouse store or the hardware store and, and seeing, uh, a guy walk up to us that has a Trump 2020 hat on and an assault rifle on his t-shirt. And like, how is this experience going to go? You know what I mean? And, and that is, um, it's frightening, you know? And, and in our case, like we can't change the way we look. So that really like, yeah, it's tough for sure. Exactly. And I mean, there's other things too, where like my parents gave me like a very white sounding name. Like my name's Steve. It doesn't get like much more like, (laughs) like ingrained than that. Um, and then there were other things too, where, they never taught me Vietnamese because they mm. didn't want me to have any kind of accent. They mm. wanted me to be able to, to assimilate into the culture as seamlessly as I possibly could, knowing yeah. that I would never be able to change my appearance. So like, yeah. let's stack the deck in other ways. And, you know, there was some pros to that. Like, I'm sure that did help me from being ostracized in certain ways. Mm. But in other ways, like I, when I was growing up, they couldn't really speak English. So they couldn't speak to me for fear that I would start learning Vietnamese and getting an accent. So a lot of my growing up was in front of TV with cartoons with VHSs because that was a better way in their opinion for me to learn language. Yeah. But yeah, but then that that's low communication with your parents. Right? Exactly. Which, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's tough, man. I think mm-hmm. um yeah, that's really tough. It's I don't know. It's it's so hard like trying to imagine what that experience would be like. Um because it, it really is so singular, and especially you know talking about the Vietnam War, like which is a really dark history of of the U.S. and and um, yeah, yeah, I can only imagine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it you know it, it created this divide between me and my parents, and it's only now that you know we've kind of taken time to to grow apart a little bit mm-hmm. and to come back together that we actually are beginning to communicate. We are now beyond just talking about, you know, how's your day? How's work? We're actually talking yeah. about how we feel and, and things like that. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's funny you mention it because it's only now in my adulthood, uh, well into my adulthood, that my parents are opening up about the trauma that they experienced during the Vietnam War and mm-hmm. the things they saw and the, the things they had to suffer, which they completely shielded me and my sister from because they were like, you, you have to leave that behind. You have to keep pushing forward. And I'm like... Now I'm in a better place 
I would love to to hear your stories so that I can better understand where you're coming from, because there are some things that I want to talk to you about, and I want to understand why you made certain decisions when mm-hmm. we were kids. Yeah, that has been very very difficult, but on the whole, I think it's been kind of a healing experience. Kind of like um, you know, sometimes you go to a physiotherapist or something like that, and there's a little bit of pain. Uh, mm-hmm. You have to endure a little bit. You know, it's not a super comfortable, but yeah. you know, you know deep down that it's uh, it's for the best. Yeah. For sure. I mean, I think, yeah, it's definitely good that that those conversations can happen though now, because I think, like, I think about like my wife and I, for instance, you know, we have two different uh, approaches towards things sometimes. I mean, we definitely like work together very well, but there's, but we also have two different brains and like, we look at things different ways. Um, And sometimes when you're in those like quick moments, it's like, you know, somebody's got to make a decision and, and, like we just move forward and compromise and then come back and talk about it later. Um, but I think there's definitely like we, even now as people who have been married for 11 years, um, in a few days, um, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Um, we, we still, you know, there's still times where we're like, we're still healing from stuff that we went through as kids. Um, you know, separately and, and we're still like trying to like learn the best way to, approach life as we have like kids who are rapidly changing um and and their development changes too so it's like yeah i think there's a lot of stuff that like to go through the healing process is so important regardless of who you are in that in that uh dynamic parent or child or or whatever and i think it's it's really good to to do but it definitely does take time and and healing to to kind of go through it but you know I've, I found that in my experience, kind of navigating the tabletop RPG spaces, because that's where I, I, I spend most of my time now, especially mm-hmm. in the Dungeon and Dragon space. Yeah. Um, you know, you see a lot of these people who maybe don't have as much experience going through a healing process with mm-hmm. support and and people who are willing to listen and help guide you and also challenge you, maybe, because yeah. that is also very, very important for some of the healing process. You know, they kind of come into it. They're like, I'm an adult now. I went through all my lumps as a kid. d and cool. And they just kind of don't want to change their mind or hear anything that could yeah. be challenging that framework. And I'm like, to me, that's like a really tragic story. Mm-hmm. And I don't lose faith on them. I, I think that it takes time, but majority of them, I think at some point will have that light bulb moment and be like, oh, maybe this time when Steve says something, maybe I'll like, I'll, I'll lean in a little bit more, listen a little bit more to what he's saying. And maybe I'll try to connect those dots. And that yeah. is always like a, a super cool thing to see. Cause you can, you can see it in someone's face. You can see it in the text they write on discord. You can hear it in their voice. If it's a call. And there's like that moment where like something just kind of changed and maybe it, it moved like a centimeter, like an inch, but it moved. And like, that's amazing. Yeah, for sure. I think that's like one of the great things about your show. Um, Three Black Halflings does this, um, where we you listen to people talk about something, and even if you're not specifically like maybe that specific key demographic, um, you listen to that conversation and, you, and your eyes open to a possibility of of something else. Um, I talked about this when I was on Asians Represent of just the fact that like there are certain things about orientalism um or about the asian perspective that i just didn't know because i they weren't my perspectives but knowing them now has made me a better person because now i can look at this stuff and go okay i have i, I guess it's like my my empathy has grown right like my my ability to see 
sort of um, more out there has grown. And so now I can understand like, okay, if this is true for these people and this is true for these people, then it's probably true for these people too. And how, how do we go about looking at that experience and using that to, to create more positivity when I'm interacting with somebody from a different demographic? And I think that's super, super important. And, and yeah, those moments when you've learned you've affected somebody in that way, I think are, are always really special and, and, and it's great that, you know, you're able to achieve that. Yeah. Um, for what it was really nice is that as I began to recognize it in others, I began to recognize what happened to me, because like you're saying, we talked to these other groups, these, these people, these folks, and they illuminate me to these other ways of thinking and ways that they struggle and push and persevere. Mm -hmm. And as I, I listen to them, I hear their stories and things like that. I can hear in my own voice, that thing I would hear in other people's voices was like, oh, that suddenly makes a lot more sense. Now I understand why this is that way. And you're so right. I want to hear more. Like, tell me more about your stories because I, I, I want to know. I don't know if yeah. I can do anything right now to help you, but I need to know at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah, for sure. That that specific thing, like tell me your stories, like that's that was the driving force of of this show was wanting to hear about other people because I knew that the experience wasn't, wasn't singular, right? Especially many, like everybody who is, who is a POC, especially is like their experience is not going to be the same person as, as a cishet white male. Like that experience is something else on its own that I think is, is more common among them, but probably still has some, some, uh, diversity in how people approached it. But for us, it's, it's that plus, you know, X, Y, and Z. It's not just being a nerd. Um, it's being a nerd and being uh, Vietnamese or being a nerd and being black or being a nerd and being gay or et cetera, et cetera. So it's like getting people listening, being able to listen to people have those conversations about like, yeah, this is what it was like for me, I think is, has been uh, incredible to see. And I think it, hopefully um, many people listen to those and, and go, oh yeah, shit, this is, this is, uh, I did, I took this for granted and now I won't anymore. <laughs> that's my, yeah. that's my goal every day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, but speaking of which, like what was your experience getting into D&D specifically or TTRPGs if that wasn't your first one? Yeah. Yeah. I think D&D was my first tabletop RPG and I think I stuck with D&D until mm -hmm. Like very recently, like 2018 was the first time I played a non D and D yeah. RPG. Um, but I just remember in high school, you know, good friends of mine were like, um, "We're in the gifted class. We're nerds. Let's just take the plunge and play Dungeons and Dragons." Mm -hmm. And I was like, "All right, let's give it a try." And yeah. it was great. It was fun. Um, D and D 3.5 is where I cut my teeth, and yeah. that one was a very interesting way to get started with tabletop rpgs because it was like very much character centric you're like mm -hmm. everything about this character just like twist and turn these knobs like everything is yours um and you could really mess it up but <laughs> at the same time you could if you knew what you were doing you could do something really really cool yeah and i remember you know playing my first couple of games and i finally was like okay here's the character i want to play uh here's the fantasy i want to do and i've told the story before but my first like major character that i had from campaign to campaign I described as like a tall, blonde hair, blue eyes, Aryan man. Uh, he was a paladin. He was a horrible person, incredibly racist, mm. uh, talked a lot about violence. Mm. And I was like, yeah, that's Dungeons and Dragons. I'm doing it. 
And <laughs> yeah, you're certainly doing it. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's an experience for sure. And like at, at the time, I don't think I had any friends that could yeah. challenge me on that and be like, hey, like, where's this coming from? <laughs> like, that's yeah. not you. Yeah. Um, at the same time, the game kind of wanted you know, you to play mm-hmm. something like that. Maybe not exactly, but you know, there are obviously hints in the text that I probably was not aware of, but that now I can read at, with this critical lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and now as an adult, I look back on them like, Ooh, I was in a bad place. Like that came out of something not too great that I'm not too proud of. Yeah, for sure. I, it's, it's really interesting. Like we, I remember being 15, 16 years old, and like doing um, like independent research on like the Black Panthers and like different organizations, like civil rights and stuff like that, and understanding um, those things from a certain level. But there was still so much about racism that I just was oblivious to, um, like especially when it came to like microaggressions and things like that. And uh, I, I find that fascinating because I think. There was other times I can definitely think of times when I've probably contributed to the things in that same way that you talk about, like your first character. But I think about recently, uh, have you watched all of Stranger Things? I have. Yes. Okay. So this is like not even really spoilers for Stranger Things, but I'm going to talk about season four. So I was reading an article where they were talking to, um, I cannot remember the actor's name, but the actor who plays Lucas, who is the only uh, black male on the show. Um, mm-hmm. He, they talked to him about like, the god i can't remember the guy's name the the, like hyper jock like the team captain jason Jason, yeah um in season four and the actor who plays lucas is like yeah he's not racist but the other guy is definitely racist the um i'm so bad with these names right now um (laughs) billy no not bill is it billy yeah billy was the villain in season three yeah billy he's like billy was racist but like jason's not racist um and i'm like I think it's like, it's interesting to get his perspective, but I think that that's also not great reporting because you're asking a a child, like he's still a kid who has only so much perspective, like 100% Billy is racist. Um, But also Jason was not a saint and did a lot of racist things. And, uh, but they're, but they're subtly racist and whether the writers knew that or not, like whether the, the directors knew that or not, who knows? But I'm just saying, like, there's some shit in there that's not that's that's still up in the air. But I think it's it's important to understand, like this this where they asked a young man who has only so much perspective and experience and is unaware of some of these things, undoubtedly. So yeah, for sure. I mean, when I was you know that age, if you put me in an interview and you're like, you know, is this person racist? I would say with my whole chest that I have never met a racist person in my entire life. And like, that's a gift to me, but I've never met anyone who's racist Yeah, because my definition at that time was if you call me a slur, you're a racist. Mm. Um, but if you do, if you just don't do that, then you've stopped racism, like thumbs up. Yeah. Um, but obviously there's nuance to it. It's a system. It's something mm. to, you have to very critically look at, uh, and understand that as you're not standing in a very objective space where you can just kind of like look at all of the big picture, you are standing in the thick of it and to see it for what it is. I mean, I hope that actor after the interview had like a support network, like a group chat or something. He's like, Hey, I got to ask this question. What do y'all think? And that, that would be the best outcome I think from that. So I I really do hope that actor had that. Yeah, 
for sure. Um, yeah, it, it, it definitely, I mean, I can think of so many instances when I was younger of people doing stuff that I just really just kind of let go. Cause I just assumed, you know, um, I mean, for one, I just, my, my capacity to understand a lot of social cues at that time, especially was like very low. So I just was like, well, I mean, if people are interacting with me and they're not like outright bullying me, then that must mean that we're cool that we're friends i guess so i'm you know i mean like just kind of like i just keep moving forward um but now like you you look back on those things and it's like oh oh okay yeah that wasn't good that was that was pretty bad i gotta (laughs) you know um i gotta use my voice to to help people understand these things so that they also don't go through this stuff uh and yeah i think it's definitely tough when you're younger um what how long did you think how long did it take for you to realize that about that that first character and about like how you approach D in general oh man um it was definitely after i got out of like all my undergrad stuff like i had done all of my education i had spent my years in school making so many mistakes just like mistakes over and over again a lot of anger had to come out of me like mm-hmm. i had to untangle where that was coming from i had to revisit faith i had to uh, learn to fall in love again with like my body. And as it is like, I, I, there was a time where I was horribly abusing my body through exercise and diet. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I had to go through all of these things and it kind of, there was no exact moment, but there was definitely a day when I was just, you know, relaxing and letting my mind wander. And I was like, Hey Steve, you remember that D and D character you had? And I was like, I do. <laughs> oh, Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, you pull up the you pull out like a post-it note or like a pen or something, you're like, I'm just gonna jot some stuff down. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it comes out and you're like, oh. And it just keeps coming out. And then at the end of it, you you feel better knowing that uh it's just another mistake and a long list of mistakes, but another step towards, you know, your personal journey and growth. Yeah. Yeah. That's tough. I mean, so you started in high school and you said it was it into your undergrad that that kind of realization came to you yeah so like the better half of a decade right wow yeah and during that whole time were you always playing like blonde characters uh so it was only my last it was yeah everything was white coded except for my very last character who um was very specifically a chinese american Mm. uh he was an ex-mma fighter Mm. uh he grew up in like Oregon and like I'm like he's like literally in this world and that was the only way I could justify having an Asian character who got like you know isekate into like D&D <laughs> yeah. and that was the only way I could imagine someone who was Asian mm-hmm. um but I did it and after playing it I'm like hey this kind of rocks and like yeah I didn't think it'd be this fun and here I am and I get to live a power fantasy using you know the aesthetic of being Asian and the identity of being Asian and it can still fulfill that power fantasy. And even beyond that, I get to approach the power fantasy in a different way. Because obviously, when I say Asian, like in my core, that has other baggage and things like that. But when I get to achieve that kind of power fantasy that I would normally achieve being a white bigot, um, yeah. it, hits, it hits different. And I'm like, I can, I can now navigate this in very nuanced ways. Mm-hmm. And now I'm excited. I can't wait to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. That's wow. I mean, it's, it really is fascinating. I think like 
having listened to so many different experiences and having my own, um, it is interesting to hear how you approached it that way. Because um, I definitely looked at it like uh, humans aren't, just aren't for me and neither are elves. Um, the drow is, but I have to change it. Uh, and, and I played, um, you know, a lot of, uh, or, or at least created in my mind, a lot of, uh, non-human characters to, Mm -hmm. to make me feel, um, like I was not playing a white character. Uh, and that's a weird thing that D and D does. Um, because, to me, I still feel like humans are very much coded towards white. Even if you like put a black fighter in the in the book, like it's still that's the way it feels to me. Um, sure. And elves for sure feel that way uh, in D and D. They're just like <laughs> like higher white, you know what I mean? Like exactly like rich whites. Um, <laughs> and yeah, and I think it's it sucks that it still it still gives that feeling. And I know that they're trying to do some of the work to like improve that and change that but it definitely um i hope that people go into the games and don't feel the way that we felt looking at it um in the future because like i have you know my nephew who's 10 or 11 is playing DD now he's like in a DD club and so far his experiences have been great but he also doesn't have any of the experience or knowledge or uh insights to like really digest understand a lot of stuff so i worry about the things that he's um taking in and 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 those things and you know yeah that's tough yeah um what i can share is that i've spoken obviously to a lot of other folks who who listen to the podcast asians present um some of them are white some of them are asian some of them are black and brown mm-hmm. and they've shared similar stories where you know they didn't feel like human was right for them because human didn't feel like didn't portray the identity they want to portray for mm. exactly the same reasons you said you said it's like it, they do feel like white coated and mm. i think that's interesting because my asian characters are all humans mm-hmm. uh, except for one where i was like very much into like anesthetic but majority of them are all humans and i think there's a lot of history in that as well because you know you you've seen how things have progressed and there was a long time where asians tried to erase parts of their identity to be more white aligned mm-hmm. and you know if humans, I agree, I think humans are very much white coded. So maybe it felt better for me to to make the leap from human white to human Asian. Mm. And that's like a very specific moment in time, uh, geog- geographical place to, to be able to do that. So that's just sharing thoughts. That's fascinating yeah, no, to me. Yeah. I never even thought about that. Yeah. I mean, yeah, now that you say that, I'm like, well, I mean, if you look at the history of, of the world, especially in the US, because that's where I live, but like, how many of us were actually really considered human in the first place? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so that, I think there's a lot of layers to that for sure. Um, and clearly like, you know, the, the history of D and D is layered with a lot of, uh, racism and sexism and bigotry. So, um, though it has improved, I, you know, I've said it hundreds of times, but like, I do like, I still think there's a lot of that stuff that just hasn't really been, uh, dug out. And probably because there hasn't been enough marginalized voices in positions of power to like point it out and bring it forward. Um, And there's a history of some of those voices getting pushed out for bringing it up. So yeah, it's kind of a tough tough situation. 
It's it's super super tough. Like the the number one question that I hate getting. I hope I I, I wake up every morning. I'm like I hope I don't hear this question, but I hear it all the time, and I don't yeah. blame people for it. And it's like Steve, how do I make D and D not racist? Mm. And I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> ooh, okay. Um, but at, at the end, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head. Like, there's a spore at the very core D and D. Maybe mm-hmm. it's not the exact core. It's hard to kind of pin that down. But there's yeah. a spore there. Uh, for colonialism, which of course weaponizes racism and other forms of oppression um, yeah. to to accumulate wealth, to accumulate mm-hmm. power. And as long as D&D celebrates the stories of colonizing, um, yeah. I think we're always going to be faced with this kind of ebb and flow of that's a pretty awful thing to write in your RPG. They bring in these voices, it gets a little better, but then the spore was never addressed and we're just going to get back to this conversation six months from now, a year from now, something like that. And yeah, it, I, I agree. I'm also with you that I'm hopeful because it's, it's getting better every day, yeah. but um, there's a long ways to go in my opinion. I know we just, basically we just need to fund Connie and everybody at Transplaner so that they can just write an Indaki source source book and then people can play in Indake where there is no colonialism or orientalism um but yeah but i mean but it it, that's kind of like that's the example that i can think of of somebody doing the work to do that and it's a lot of work i mean the amount of work that that they have put into creating that world specifically that way um cannot be uh overstated like it's it's so so much but how many people are actually willing to do that right a lot of people i think i think there's people who generally ask that question of you and generally want an answer but i think a lot of people are just like how do i play this without feeling guilty um give me that easy answer please and that specifically is just not something you're going to get because it's it's not built into the framework of it and and it's going to require more work from you than you might be willing to give at that moment Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, combined with that, there's a, there's a probably a fundamental misunderstanding of what racism is. Yeah. And it's like, I I don't want to necessarily give you options or solutions or thoughts if you're not even at a a state where you can even engage with these things, which is why it's so important that, you know, we start moving the needle so that our kids, our friends, our families have resources to better understand and deconstruct and critically look at mm-hmm. all of these systems and the impacts that they have so that when it comes to any other system, a game maybe, and yeah, the stakes in a game can be pretty low, but when it comes to a game, using that as practice, I guess you can call it, to begin mm-hmm. using that critical lens and that critical thinking, that's a pretty great way to begin understanding and, and untangling a lot of feelings and tensions you can have about other things yeah for sure yeah i think i definitely think it's a it's a great place especially if you're already interested in in these games right because i think it's Mm -hmm. you know we have the tools there but how how it gets approached like i I recently i was on i was a guest host for three black halflings uh this past week uh which has been incredible um but we talked about like how people can approach the game and what we talked about was a specific race that they brought back that uh had a lot of racial undertones in previous editions and it's like okay so even if you change it now all this information from the past is still there how like what are we doing to like make the new information more accessible 
and get rid of the old information. So that way, when people go to look it up, just like a Google search, and they're like, oh, I want to play this thing. Like, and now you're finding information that's like providing you racism fodder. Like, you know, how do we avoid this? Because um, I don't think it's like, we'll just scrap all D&D and start over. But I do think there's, it's going to take a lot of work uh, and money and, and yeah, I, it's such a tough thing. Like it, it everything is so grounded in it, right? Like D and D is the Kleenex of, of, uh, of tabletop RPG. So it's, it's hard to, to just start over. Um, but oh, I think yeah. a lot of really hard work has to go into like making improvements and making conscious improvements to, to show people that you are willing to change the way that it's perceived and the way that people play the games. And yeah. Hey y'all. It's your favorite host. And I wanted to just pop in here to say, uh, if you're enjoying the show uh, and you'd like to give us some support, the best way to do that is through Patreon. Uh, I've launched the Patreon with a couple of tiers there's a $3 tier which gives you access to the Discord and you come hang out with uh, me and the other friends inside of that uh, and just kind of talk the show, talk a bunch of different nerd stuff. And then there is a, another tier, an $8 tier, uh, where you can get early access to episodes ad-free. Um, you will also get free access to all uh, micro RPGs that I create in the future. Yeah, so again, uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, if you'd like to give additional support, that's one way to do it. Another great way to do it is just, you know, go on to whatever platform you're listening to and rate the podcast. Subscribe, uh, follow, leave a review if you can. Um, those things really help gain visibility for the show, and it is always greatly appreciated. Link is in the description. Thank you so much, and back to the episode. Absolutely. It's going to take I think, I think Wizards, it, it, like you said, it's really, really difficult. I remember, I think it was three years ago, that they took all their old content, like Al-Kadim, Oriental Adventures, and they put like a disclaimer on it, like a, like a Warner Brothers type disclaimer, where it's like, yeah. it was a different time. We apologize. Yeah. We don't condone this, condone this behavior. Um, and then, of course, there's still the tension where it's like, it's still making money. Like, people are yeah. still <laughs> dropping 10, 20 bucks on Oriental Adventures to consume this, like, thing you are clearly saying is like really racist and bad mm -hmm. um but they're giving you money for it and you're just taking it and yeah. i'm like where is that money going is it just lining your corporate pockets are you putting that back into the community so you can uplift other voices probably the first one yeah. but you know <laughs> it, it makes it makes it really difficult and you know all these little tiny things like death by a thousand cuts right mm -hmm. yeah. yeah yeah i mean that's actually a good point like everything that's like gain money based on cultural appropriation should definitely go back into a charity to uh go the opposite direction um but yes again will that happen i don't know uh it's it's super tough um so yeah so you're playing you're playing these games uh D, D and other games um how how far into the beginning of asians represent do you get introduced to the show as a listener Oh, geez. Um, I think I listened to it for, yeah. So here's how the story goes. So I listened to it for like about a year ish. Okay. Um, and I start listening to their, the actual play of masks. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I've never heard of masks before. I don't even know what PBTA stands for. Yeah. Um, but I'm listening to, it, I'm like, this is so amazing. Cause they've, they've built a world. 
they built a world that's specifically like a solar punk kind of situation where like it's a lot it's a city with a lot of green space and i'm like are you allowed to do that in an rpg like you can yeah. you can just make up a city like that and they did and yeah. they're loving it and their their game is free of racism and homophobia and there are still so many conflicts they're having because mm-hmm. at that you know i was still deconstructing the idea the idea that like if you're playing D and you don't have racism like what else is there left to fight and then <laughs> yeah. and then all of a sudden this crew effortlessly they're just like, oh, yeah, I have tensions because, you know, my family wants me to be something and I can't be that or I can't meet these expectations mm-hmm. or I put these own like or have feelings that I can't express or I feel like I'm in danger. And like, these are all amazing, dramatic stories. Yeah, I listen to it. Eventually, I, I reach out to Daniel and the crew just to be like, I think you guys are amazing and I, I love the work that you're doing. And then. After they finish that, I show up to a convention and they're there um and daniel loves this story because uh i i gotten a lot of shit for it yeah <laughs> but uh, uh i show up at a uh the sheridan hotel in cosplay it was uh two conventions were happening uh fan expo in toronto and then also breakout con so i just went from one to the other so i'm in cosplay i'm in my full red hood jason todd so i'm just like cover i'm wearing like my biker's leather jacket i'm covered in fake guns and i'm just like walking up and down the streets Unfortunately, the weekend before there was uh, a school shooting and I realize now that this was in very poor taste, but I do show up at the uh, Sheridan and I'm schmoozing and I'm like talking to people and all of a sudden a security guard is like running at me, just like full out sprinting. (laughs) And what had happened was a lot of people complained because I thought I was carrying an open and assault rifle, Mm -hmm. even though it had the orange tip and everything like that. But yeah, to be fair, it looks like a gun. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry. And like, I'm deconstructing. I'm like putting in a bag. I'm like, I'm sorry. It's, it's all plastic. You can check blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And then I show up to, um, Daniel actually saw that happen. And then I show up to their panel and it's just like, I'm the only person in cosplay sitting in the back, like as red hood, just like asking for like, Hey, uh, what are your opinions on like Orion's adventures or something? Like that? <laughs> oh, it was wild. And after yeah. that we went for, we, we sat down and we just in the lounge, um talking about stuff schmoozing um uh amar um we were bounding over whiskey because i brought my flask mm. uh which great if you have a biker's jacket because there's pockets everywhere you can just pull one of those out <laughs> yeah and we we're just in the hotel chilling and at some point dan was like we all really love your energy we'd love to bring you on just to to talk to you about this thing and then time went on and he's like i want to do an actual play and i think you're perfect to fill like one of the seats and we we got together and we started building out this mini series called Dungeons into Asians, which yeah. is wholly in kind of like this fantasy um, East Asia that Daniel brought all of his knowledge being an archaeologist to. That series was amazing because literally I was learning something new, probably like every hour, something mm-hmm. historical that actually happened. And my mind is being blown and I get to play this unabashedly Asian character with all this other stuff encompassed in it. And it's like I'm having a blast. Oh, it was like turnaround moment for me. It was great. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and then so from from the actual play, um, then I'm assuming Daniel just invited you on to like be a host as well to be like so. How that? Yeah. So right after we finished wrapping up like the first season of Dungeons and Asians, uh, COVID nineteen hit, Mm. and all of a sudden we couldn't record in Daniel's house anymore because like we weren't going to take transit and things like that. It just wasn't it didn't make any sense so we're trying to figure out something 
um, digital virtual that we can make work because we still want the podcast to be very high quality and so on and so forth. So Daniel's like, you know what? Maybe we'll try streaming. Um, he puts up like a Twitter poll and he's like, I'm going to read something on on Twitch. What do you want me to read? And of course, 99% of the people are like, read Oriental Adventures. And he's like, shit. <laughs> so he he messages me and he's like, do you want to read Oriental Adventures with me on stream? And I think I was like, what? No, but also yes. <laughs> yeah. And um, we go and we do this this 26 episode series where we read cover to cover Oriental Adventures. and it starts off with just me and him just kind of riffing. And then we bring in some guests um, with various backgrounds, um, some academic, some very much in the tabletop RPG space. And they come in, they bring us new insights yeah. and, you know, hell or high water, we get to the end of it. And we're like, this was a, this was a trip. <laughs> and it was after that, the wizards actually went back and put their disclaimer up uh, mm -hmm. on Orient's adventures and other uh, things. And obviously our series had generated a lot of buzz and it did put pressure on this corporation and they did act. And that was kind of wild to see happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's so wild. Um, yeah. yeah. I think it, it's, it's really fascinating to see the growth. Cause I think it's one of those things like being new to the space, you learn about like all these different shows have, that have been around for a while. Um, especially like if you're like me and you stayed off of social media. And so it was, it was really cool to see, like how long ago the show had started and uh, like the growth from that and the fact that like so many folks on the show are now doing, you know, different jobs in TTRPGs and stuff like that. And I think, yeah, that's so much fun. And it's so cool to see the opportunities that have come from that as well. Because I think it's really important. I think, you know, when Daniel's on the show, he talked about like wanting to help create space for more Asian uh, creators. And I think that, Asians represent has definitely done that. So yeah, I love that. It, it definitely did for me. And I know I'm not the only one where, yeah. you know, after coming on for Dungeons and Asians during the Oriental Adventures stuff, you know, um, the team for Unbreakable, they reached out and was like, Steve, would you like to come on as a, as a writer? And I'm like, I have never written like RPG stuff. And they're like, we have many other people who would this be their first time, but the goal here is to uplift Asian voices and give you a chance to tell your story. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if you're going to take a chance on me, I'll take it. And it was great. I learned a ton. I worked with some amazing people uh, in the tabletop RPG space, like standing on the shoulders of giants kind of people. And then Unbreakable Volume 2 gets released. And I'm like, I'm going to take a step back. I'm going to not take a writer position, but I'm just like shilling to all the people I know and all my networks. Even if we just met like once or twice. I'm like, if you have a song in your heart, sign up, just pitch. And yeah, maybe you don't get selected. But if you just go through the process and pitch it, I promise you, you won't regret it. Like you're going to find something for yourself and maybe you'll take that somewhere else. And a lot of people applied. They actually broke up volume two into volume two for D&D &D 5e, revolutions for system agnostic. And um, I think it's called Pathways or Waves. I forget the actual name of it, but another supplement specifically for like other uh, RPGs because they had just had so many people come out and just want to tell their stories. and you know, talking to Daniel, that was always one of the goals for Asians to present. And maybe it's something that he knew that I also really appreciated yeah. and why the team wanted me to stay on for as long as I have. Um, because I love to see it. I, I want that to keep happening and I hope it never stops. Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, that's such a cool thing um, to be able to have that reach and, and to be able to get 
folks out like that. So I, I really love to hear that stuff. I think that's so cool. I mean, were you, cause I know you said like you had never written before, but like, were you was like fan fiction or like just doing like your own, like personal writing stuff or even like D and D homebrew stuff as a G as a GM was like that stuff that you did, or was this like the completely new idea? I think before I, I started that, my last rating experience, I'm a four-time loser of NaNoWriMo. Uh, so every so every time I try to sit down and write something, it's like, oh yeah, write a thousand words a day. Four years in a row, I just could not keep up with it. And yeah. I'm like, <laughs> it, it is what it is. And every time I write, I was like, I don't like this, blah, blah, blah. But then Unbreakable came around and I'm like, one more try. It's just like one more, let's give it a go. Yeah. And I wouldn't say it's like stellar writing. Um, I could do a much better job now that I've learned a little bit more, but I saw it through the end. I worked with editors, two of them. Um, we went through both um, editing process of the actual content itself, and I clarified stuff, and I, I recognized where my writing had weaknesses. And then we went through a more technical one where it was about um, making sure you adhere to certain Wizards of the Coast, um, um, what do you call it? Like, like a guideline or? Like their guidelines, yeah. Um, to make sure you're hitting all of those. And that was also a very good experience because, you know, if you're going to write for D&D or any other like gaming system, obviously you want to be clear and concise mm-hmm. while upholding kind of like these standards that they have. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I read, I wrote a, a one shot adventure for Pathfinder 2E and a friend of mine who writes for, for Pathfinder 2E took a look at it and was like, Oh yeah, like this is a way that you would have to do this if you were submitting it to them. And so, I mean, that information is so invaluable and it really does like help you understand like, Oh yeah. Okay. I think this is a great way to do it. Um, because game writing is, is more technical than it's not. Yeah. And you would be surprised sometimes I think. And so, yeah, but it's easy. I know for myself, at least, like I took a lot of stuff for granted of just like information that just seemed obvious in my brain that is not going to be obvious to a person reading this for the first time. Absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's really cool. I mean, so now that you've kind of gone through that process, like, is this something that you enjoy, like writing now? Is that like something you want to continue pursuing? I think so. Yeah. But, you know, I'm now at a point where I have that tension where I want to take up my own space because it makes me happy, but I also want to uplift others. Mm-hmm. I know where my priorities lie, but at the same time, I'm not going to deny myself an opportunity that I think would be really, really valuable for me. Yeah. So right now I'm kind of doing a little bit of freelance work here where some people kind of reach out to me. And it's like, hey, would you like to do kind of this podcast? Would you like to come out as a guest for this stream? I take a look at what's going on and I say, usually, yeah, let's yeah. let's make it happen. And for me, you know, with that, that core value of trying to uplift voices, even working with a team um, that I don't think I would necessarily work with again in the future, that allows me to have and share that story with other people who are like, I think you could, you know, really enjoy that team. Here's my experience. Mm-hmm. Obviously, my experience won't be the same as yours, but yeah. I'm hoping that, you know, this honesty and this openness uh, helps set you up for success. Yeah, for sure. I think, yeah, I mean, having that information is super helpful. Um, I, being able to interview so many people, I've definitely learned a lot of stuff without having to like go in and do like, I've learned like secondhand experience from a lot of, a lot of people of like, yeah, this is a situation I got put in, or this is like how we started our show. And I wish we had done it this way or whatever it is. And I think that that, it really does create a lot of really good, like valuable lessons. And sometimes, like you said, experiences of like, somebody might come and ask me like, Hey, like, I got approached for doing this actual play with so-and-so like, what do you think? And that's like, 
okay, well, you know, have you asked these questions? Have you thought about these things? Have you done this stuff yet? Um, and it's really fascinating when you look at, especially like, you know, discord channels that are all POC and stuff like that, where, um, we can have those conversations about like what places are safe to, 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 to be at and what places are going to like actually take the time to make you feel good uh, as a POC and make you feel comfortable there, um, and not make you the only one and not be the token. And so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's great that there are those resources now as more of us get into it. And I think, um, yeah, that's, it's super valuable to, to have, especially as somebody who's like trying to, um, like you said, you know, uplift other voices and, and, and do that work. So yeah, that's really great. Yeah. I, I, I hope to see, uh, it's, it's so funny because every time I talk to someone who's like newer to the space, once I'm like, oh yeah, this community here, they can help you in this regard. In this community here, they love talking about these kind of things. Like the light bulb turns on, like I can see the glint in their eye, like that, that exists already. Like it's already a formed community. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. And they will keep forming. Um, and if you want to participate in whatever capacity makes you happy or comfortable or brings you joy, like go for it. Like yeah. world's your oyster, go for it. And if you have any questions, always come back to me. Like DMs open, happy to talk about it. I'll tell you when I'm free and we'll just make it happen. And I think a lot of people have like, especially POC, they have mm. like a lot of trauma when it mm. comes to people just like freely giving help and support. Like yeah. what's the catch? Like that kind of thing. And I'm like, no catch. I know yeah. what, I know what you're feeling. No yeah. catch. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I think POC is definitely we don't always ask for help when we need it. Um and also we are sometimes suspicious of help, uh, especially free help. So I definitely agree with you there. I think it's tough. I mean, there's so many different things I think that we're sort of affected by in the space that I noticed like we don't really do a great job of promoting ourselves a lot of times. Um, some people are better at it, but I think like a majority of us aren't. Um, and I think that it's just like putting ourselves out there and things like that. So yeah, definitely having people in, in the space that can help uh, promote each other, push each other, um, open up doors for each other. Uh, that stuff uh, is so important to, to, you know, just create opportunities for people who, who deserve it, but might not take the chance on themselves. For sure, for sure. Yeah. And I think there's also kind of a flip side to that where, you know, you if you see someone who's always just kind of like giving help and things like that, that can, for many reasons, like feel suspicious. Mm -hmm. But I have now gotten to this idea where I also make my boundaries pretty well known. Yeah. And I that actually helps the conversation a lot where, you know, I'm, I'm helping someone and they're like, you know, I'm getting the vibe of like, what's the catch? Yeah. And I'm, I can just preempt it and be like, you know, I'm pretty busy in the next two weeks. So even if you send me a message, I might not get back to it for like five days. And if yeah. you're cool with that, we can definitely continue this. Um, but if you need like dedicated time, I can't really give that to you. Mm -hmm. And that energy really changes the conversation. You know, yeah. it becomes, it becomes like, I guess it kind of humanizes me a little bit mm -hmm. because it's one thing to talk to Steve, the co-host Asians present, uh, this person who's like an author and it's different to talk to Steve, who's like juggling all the like this wild crap that's happening in his life. Yeah. Um, and he's like, in the next two weeks, I'm gone. Um, yeah. Talk to me later. And yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so many of us are, this is not our full time job, right? So, like, we're doing this because we love it and we have a passion for it. Um, but we also have other responsibilities, um, which, 
for many people includes a day job um, or family or a partner or whatever it is. So yeah, I think it's so important. I think, um, I mean, yeah, I can definitely see that. I can see that with yourself. I, I saw that. I see that a lot with, with Daniel of being like, I'm going on vacation. Like, <laughs> so, you know, so I'll see you. If I jump on, it's because I want to, but don't expect, you know what I mean? And I think, I think that is so important to let people know, um, or not even let people know, but just to set the boundary of just like, Hey, like, this is who I am. This is, you know, what you can expect if you want to work together. But like outside of that, you know, I do the same thing because I have kids and that's, they're always going to be my priority. Um, and so I can't just be like, yeah, cool. Uh, normally when it's playtime for us and dinner time, that's when I'll meet up with you. It's like, I'm sorry, but if, you know, if you need me specifically, then this is when it's, this is when I can be with you. So, um, yeah, I think boundaries are so, so important. And especially in the teacher RPG space where things can get, where I think just in general, like in the social space, right. Where para, parasocial relationships are so weird. Um, and what people expect from people just because they follow you online is a, like a, a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like you and I, we weren't equipped for like how to navigate a parasocial relationship. That wasn't even part of like our lexicon. Yeah. And now these days, you know, we're following these people or watching them on YouTube, whatever it is, we're engaging with their words. We're engaging with their faces, which is like, you know, that's <laughs> totally different. And then when we meet them and things like that, we have to kind of go back and understand that they don't know me. <laughs> like yeah, I'm a stranger yeah. Yeah. and I need to treat this like we're strangers and I need to build the trust in the relationship. Like I would, if I did know they did all this work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I always, yeah. Unless I know specifically like that person is aware of who I am. I'm always like, Hey, this is who I am because I have no idea. Like just because we both clicked follow doesn't mean much of anything at all. Um, you know, and, and especially I think if like you're trying to grow your audience and things like that, like it's, yeah, it's a, I don't know. It's so fascinating, like the whole dynamic of, of all of that stuff. But I think it's, there's a lot of good in it as well. Um, and a lot of like good conversations that we can have because it, when we're like out there looking to talk to people and collaborate and stuff like that, um, I feel like, and you don't have to talk about this if you don't want to, but like, I feel like you recently mentioned you left the D and D discord. Is that yeah, right? I did. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. That was, that was really, really interesting because, um, you know, three months ago I was like, Hey, I'm on the D and D discord. I've been in part of that community for two years now. Mm -hmm. Um, here are the things that, you know, keep coming up. So at some point I was like, I'm going to make a thread about racism in D and D and we can just have this space and we can talk about it. Uh, here are the guidelines. So like for one, I was like in this thread, we highlight uh, BIMPOC voices. And if you're a white voice, you're welcome. But I'm asking you to be cognizant of the space you take up. Yeah. Um, and it was doing pretty well. And it actually inspired some other people to make like a thread on feminism, a thread on queerness. Mm -hmm. uh, and then people started making those other threads and like making their own spaces and like, yeah, do that. Like uplift voices. Here we go. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, uh, eventually... The conversations got really, really bad. I took a, I took like a week off mm. or so. And without that, like very specific guidance um, from like a very clear voice who's trying to take a authoritative stance, people just started spiraling. And they were just like, instead of having conversations that were constructive, they began having like shouting matches. And I'm like, this is bad for the overall conversation because every time you do this, 20 people out there, they're going to see that and they're not going to know how to react. And there's, there's no, there's no guidance. There's no, 
mm-hmm. way to help bring this back into something that's positive or constructive. Yeah. So at some point I was like, here's a thread of it. I've asked mods to like, give me a hand, like actually moderate the space and, and help me because I don't have any power here. <laughs> do the thing so, that you signed up to do. <laughs> yeah. So I made, I made a thread on it and, um, it blew up. I had a whole bunch of like Wizards of the Coast people like reach out to me. It's like, we saw your thread. We're sorry this happened. We're going to make it better. Blah, blah, blah. Three months have passed. I got some like wishy-washy commitments that I'm not, that were at, told me, told to me in confidence. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some commitments, all of them didn't meet my expectations. Yeah. So I was like, I'm leaving. I, I'm not going to give this space any more of my energy. However, I know that I know people who are still part of that space. And like, once this one commitment is fulfilled and we're, we have high confidence it will, mm-hmm. I'll come back yeah. and I'll take a look at it and I'll give them another shot because that's who I am. Mm-hmm. But until that time, if it's just going to be like same day as yesterday, then it doesn't deserve my time and it doesn't deserve my energy. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's really tough. I mean, we talked about like having like all POC spaces and I think a conversation is different when you, when you're engaging in it and you realize the people that you're talking to, at least we all have like a common ground. We all have a certain sense of like, we don't want to hurt each other in this conversation. Um, and even, even in that, even in those specific instances, things can still go wrong. But I think, I think you have to have a certain basis of trust for anything like that to work or, you know, courtesy at the very least, right. To be like, yeah, like I'm going to take what you're saying in good faith. I'm not going to like assume the worst. Um, I'll ask you to clarify if I don't understand things like that. And, and it's really tough, especially in a situation where it's like, these are text channels, right? Yeah. There's so many messages that I've read that I'm like, what, what is this? What the fuck does this person mean? Like what is happening right now? Um, recently somebody commented on something on Twitter and I was like, I don't like, I don't even know how to engage with this because I'm not sure if you are a bad person or just a person who just didn't make a very clear statement of what you wanted to say. And I don't, I don't even know if I want to feed that fire. Like, you know what I mean? And I think where other people might be like, take it the completely wrong way and be like, no, fuck you. Like what's going on? You know what I mean? I turn it into a whole thing. And then when there's no moderation, then it's just like, everything explodes. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's really tough. It's, it's hard. You have to, that's one of the things that I really don't like about Twitter, especially, but like sometimes on discord as well as like, I, I really enjoy nuance. I, I love having nuanced conversations and you just can't. Mm-hmm. Like one of the most refreshing moments I've had over the past couple of months was having a conversation um, with somebody who I've become friends with through the show, non-recorded for two hours where we just talked about some real complicated shit. Yeah. And, and, and we could talk about it with nuance and just be like, oh, okay, yeah, like this is a thing or like this is a frustrating thing or whatever um, without having people in a comment section like going off or, you know what I mean? Like just, like, hey, I'm I'm asking from a place of good faith, and you're asking from a place of good faith. Let's just have a conversation. I think that's yeah. M- we need to do that more. <laughs> yeah, I've I've Discord can be kind of like a Twitter adjacent in like the mm-hmm. way some of those conversations are navigated. Yeah. But I have had times, even in the D and D official Discord, where someone's like, I feel like you have good faith, but man, I just can't understand what you're saying. Like, yeah. it's it's not connecting with me. Mm-hmm. Do you want a phone call? And I would say like 20% of the time, they're like, 
yeah, I'm down for that. And we schedule yeah. something for like next week or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And of that 20% of people who are like, I'll go on a call with you, I would say 50% of them like walk away feeling really good about the conversation. Yeah. I n- never, 0% of the time, do I change anyone's mind about anything. Mm-hmm. But they're like, wow, you took some time out of your day. You turned your camera on. You were like very vulnerable to me. And you told me some stories that, you know, I was not aware of. So I appreciate that. And yeah. then there's another 50% of the time. I remember this call was, looking back, it was hilarious to me. This person wanted to talk about race in the D&D. And we opened up the call. And I kid you not, they spoke for 40 minutes straight. I didn't say anything. Like, <laughs> my camera was on. And they just saw me, like, there, just, like, not moving. They're like, you still there? I'm like, I'm still here. They're like, okay. Yeah. And they just kept going. <laughs> Jeez. And at the end of it, I'm like, hey, it's been an hour. Um I kind of had to get going. Like uh, I'm not really willing to put more than an hour in it for now. Mm-hmm. Uh, what percentage of time do you think you spent speaking versus I spent speaking? And then they, <laughs> and then like a light bulb hit and they're like, like 90, 10%. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I don't know if we can have these conversations anymore. Yeah. And they got my DMs. They're like, apologize and all that good stuff. I'm like, I appreciate you saying it. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really tough. I mean, I think that's like, I don't know. I definitely have learned a lot having an interview show. I think that helps, right? Because you understand like the dynamics of a conversation. Um, but that said, I think, I don't know. I've been on other shows or, or listened to other shows where it's like the person clearly doesn't understand like when you should let somebody else talk or, um, or the fact that you're speaking over people constantly or whatever it is. Like um, my friend Brandy, they, talked about how often uh cis het male speakers constantly will speak over femme voices um and i mean that's true and I, it's something that i've been cognizant of from the beginning because literally my third and fourth guests were women and i was like i cannot i cannot speak over them you know what i mean and and i didn't want to like that's not something i ever intend to do for anybody but i think it's it's something that you have to be conscious of the way that you talk. Um, and I know I'm talking about femme voices and I'm not trying to suggest that you're femme. I'm just like, you know, drawing parallels of conversations that I think it's important to understand. Sometimes we have to listen more than we speak. And a lot of people don't understand that. And if you want to learn something, you cannot talk more than the person you're trying to learn from. That is not absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I wish more people would like louder for the people in the back. Like I wish more people would take that to heart because it, it sets you up to meet and understand and grow so much better. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely struggled with speaking over voices because I was like, I got to fight to be heard. Mm-hmm. Not realizing I wasn't fighting in a very constructive way at right. all. Yeah. Yeah. Or in some instances, like who are you fighting against? You know what I mean? Like exactly. <laughs> this person is your ally. Like, we're, you know what I mean? So I think it's, yeah, it's, it's really tough. I, I, um, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work. And I think, you know, hopefully if anybody garners anything from this conversation between Steve and I, like it, it's that to do the things that we're trying to do, it takes a lot of work and a lot of reflection and a lot of like consciousness of like being present and understanding and, and paying attention to like, if the person on the other side of the screen is not moving and you have to ask if they're there, like that means you've done too much. You've talked too long. <laughs> um, you know, um, but I think like, you know, one last point, like Asians represent has had amazing panels and 
what makes part of what makes those panels amazing is that everybody has a voice at the table and everybody has a space to have to say their piece um you know within the time frame of of the conversation and i think that that is so important and being a listener of a podcast like that or a show like that is a great way to get started in this and understanding like you may have things you want to say because you have opinions too, but right now all you can do is listen. You, you aren't participating in this conversation, so you have to listen. So be an active listener and learn the stuff that, that is being, is being told. So that way you can come at it from a better perspective. Um, and hopefully, you know, approach things, uh, in a way that you didn't realize you could approach it before. Yeah. For sure. Love that. I love that. That's, ooh, that's good. Yeah. Thanks. Um, well, yeah, I don't know. Steve, uh, closing thoughts. Um, you're super strong. You just finished a D&D workout, Sonia told me. Uh, I finished all of them. I finished all, all of the workouts. No, um, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I started a project. I started a project where I was like, do a workout for every D&D subclass. It's 107 workouts. And I just finished yeah. doing the last one. Uh, it was designed by a friend of mine. And I, I texted him after it was done. I'm like, you suck. This, this sucks so much. You're, you're, you're a, you're a brutal, brutal, you know, coach. Yeah. Uh, he's like, yeah, I know. I'm like, okay, well, as long as you know. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, um, that's a conversation for, for later. Like yeah. how I learned to fall in love with moving my own body and like how my body reacts mm-hmm. all of like the little tiny nuances there. Like I, I realized the other day that my knees, uh, are built different than most other people's knees. I'm like, wait, you don't feel pain when you do this? And they're like, no, never. I'm like, oh, damn. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and you know, there's like a, it's it's bad for me, but it's kind of like sublime. It's beautiful in a way. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. I dig it. I dig it. Uh, Steve, where can people find you if if you want to be found? Unfortunately, you can find me on Twitter. Oh, I shouldn't say that. No, find me on Twitter. It, no. It's fine, I'm sure. All of my listeners know uh, Twitter always comes with the uh, preface of unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, I am mostly on Twitter. You can follow me at D-E-E-E-M Steve. That's D-E-E-M Steve. Phonetically, the D-E-E-M stands for slide in my DMs and let's talk about, heck, let's talk about uplifting voices. We'll make it yeah. positive. Usually I say something really silly, but no, let's talk about <laughs> uplifting voices because I think that was, you know, we should talk about that more. I yeah, think. for sure. Um. I think that's the main place you can follow me. You can also listen to my voice and and hear my thoughts and see my faces of uh, my face on <laughs> Asians represent faces. Many faces of Steve. <laughs> yeah. On Asians represent, you can follow us on Twitch at twitch.tv slash AZNS rep, uh, or just follow Asians represent on Twitter as well. Uh, you can find us all there. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing Thank your you. stories, man. Thank you for, for bringing me on here. This was a real delight to be here and have this conversation. This is great. Thanks Thank again. You, yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to reach out to us, check out the many options on the Anchor app or anchor.fm on your browser. You can also reach us at secretnerdpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to the show. And if you'd like, leave a review to help us grow this thing. 